Hello and welcome to another episode of the CG Garage. This is episode number 459 featuring Ben Hansford, an incredible director who's directed over 120 commercials. Uh, and he's also uh, a teaches over at USC. Uh, really interesting guy. I met him through our very great mutual friend, Mr. Daniel Thrawn, who, as you guys know, I host another podcast with uh, him and Eric Shealy called Martini Giant. But I met Ben through, through, through Dan and uh, been really great. Uh, I'm actually very interested to hear what he's doing. He does, like I said, have a visual effects background, and uh, that visual effects background has enabled him to really sort of embrace a lot of interesting technology. Uh, he's very, very technically savvy, and uh, it recently has been extremely embraced a lot of AI technology when it comes to filmmaking, and he has embedded that into his curriculum over at USC uh, with some very polar, uh, uh, interesting opinions about that. Some people extremely excited they're very ambitious about what they're doing and some people obviously having an opposition to it. Uh, he's trying to basically put everyone at ease and try to get everyone to understand the ramifications of this. We, of course, do talk about the implications of the legal and ethic issues that are involved in this. But, uh, you know, in a sense, what is interesting is he really likens it to a tool that has enabled a new type of filmmaking. Specifically, he references the French New Wave and how smaller cameras sort of enabled a new style of filmmaking in French New Wave that eventually led to the new Hollywood as well. So he does have a very positive outlook on everything, uh, which I really like. Uh, and uh, I'm really kind of interested to see what he does. I love, I love Ben's attitude about filmmaking and it is really, really cool. And I'm very, very curious to see where he's going to take all of this. Okay, I do have a couple of announcements uh, to, to put out there uh, in terms of products. I did mention a few times, but Vantage 2 Update 2 is out. It is a big deal. It has incorporated a lot of great new features, including displacement and hair and fur have been added, which is kind of a big deal. A lot of new stuff is going on. I have been using Vantage quite a bit lately in the innovation lab and we've got some really interesting projects which i cannot wait to tell you about uh, and i'm very very excited about where this is all taking us uh, additionally i should note that uh, v-ray 6 update 2 has been out for uh ketchup and, and uh, rhino uh, includes a lot of new updates including some updates for v-ray for grasshopper so make sure and go check those out all of that is available at chaos.com and go to our product pages and you will be able to get all the detailed breakdowns of that i uh, don't have any specific announcements just yet uh, to give you, but um, you know, you can just go to chaos.com slash events to check out all of our events there. And if you, of course you want to know more about the podcast, you guys know what to do. Just go to chaos.com slash podcast. That's where we host all of our podcasts. You can also go to us on our social media page, which is facebook.com slash uh, podcast. And of course, you can uh, email us. That's also a really great thing to do. We have gotten some great email suggestions. We get more and more every day. In fact, a lot of our podcasts now actually come from suggestions, which I really appreciate. And our email is labs at chaos.com. Again, labs at uh, chaos.com. But for now, now, please enjoy episode number 459 with Ben Hansford. Welcome to another CG Garage, where the chaos group talks. You'll know it's over when the last bucket drops. We're gonna fire off rays in high dynamic range. We know that ambient occlusion is passe. Global illumination won't lead you astray And while image-based lighting is really swell You need to make sure everything has for now Okay, Ben. Very excited to have you on. 
I've heard many, many a Ben Hansford story through our mutual friend Dan Thrawn, but I think uh, I know that you probably have a proper past and not some crazy. My friend Ben did this crazy <laughs> thing. So if there's something you could tell me, so what got you into this? What what got you into filmmaking and into just making awesome like directing and all those types of things? Oh man, uh, I mean, one, thank you for having me on. Yeah. This is uh, this is definitely bucket list for me. Yeah, my past is pretty storied. I I dropped out of college to go make video games with Daniel, uh-huh. and uh, but I'd always known like I wanted to be a filmmaker. Right. And so then from there it was I began animating uh, like more on the motion graphics side actually. I was doing animation motion graphics, and then from there parlayed that into more sort of somewhere in between um, animation and compositing. Okay. And from there, it was, but it was still all in After Effects. And from there, I started compositing in Nuke. Uh, but again, always with this drive. Doing what? Just in, in visual effects and post-production? Yeah, in visual effects. And okay. so I was, working at com- I was working at a lot of cool sort of hybrid companies like Murata or uh-huh. MPC, Framestore. Yeah. Yeah. Just companies that were sort of doing a lot of different things. Right. And then, yeah, at some point, I finally realized I needed to take a, a full break from visual effect work if I was really going to become a director. Stopped, went to USC for film school. And then when I got out of that, took uh, any job I could that got me close to a camera. And then at the very, yeah, at some point, like probably around 2015, I got fortunate enough to direct my first commercial, which was great because we were also having our first child. Uh And (laughs) and commercials is like this killer opportunity to both be a director, but then stay close to home, work repeatedly rather than flying to different countries for six months at a time. And so, yeah, a lot of commercial directing, short film directing. Uh, Yeah. Okay. Okay, so but very ambitious. You've touched a lot of different areas in, in filmmaking. What got you interested in doing cameras and doing stories? Oh man, uh, it's funny. I I always recount this one story, and and I now know like I believe everyone who became becomes a director becomes a director because they don't actually know what the job is. Like that's kind of my overarching theme of this. Mm-hmm. And I was in Louisiana. I grew up in Lafayette, Louisiana. And, you know, a misty night, there was a film crew there that was uh, shooting on this sort of one main street. You know, the stoplight is blinking red. It's foggy. Me and my homies are on our bikes. We're watching all of this happen. And this man who, you know, I assumed was the director, standing on the back of the truck with a bullhorn. And he yells, and action. And we watch this car rev up to speed. It hits a ramp, spins sideways, gets flipped over on its top and just slides on its top down this foggy street, shooting sparks in all directions. And I was hooked, Chris. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, that's it. I'm going to be that guy. I'm going to be that director. Right. And it's only later that I realized, like, well, one, that was probably a second unit team. Right. Uh, and that man who yelled action wasn't the director. It was probably the AD of AD. the second unit team. Like, right. it was just sort of or this, stunt like, coordinator. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or stunt coordinator. Like, it was anyone but the job I have now. Right. Um, but, yeah, that's where I kind of I got hooked. And from there, it was great. I've run into a lot of wonderful people along the way who had a similar, you know, sort of varied path to it. But, yeah, I've been, I've been kind of chasing that dream all along. So – there, there, the thing that I think is interesting that I always that Dan, Dan always tells me about when he talks about you is that he seems to think 
that you have a very good perspective on the future of Ooh. what's happening in filmmaking. Okay. <laughs> so and and he tells these stories they're very believable like, it's like oh yeah I, that, it's like that's why i was like i totally want to meet ben i want to mm. talk to ben about this stuff right but what is it what do you what do you think like obviously you've touched on a lot of things you have gone into post so you're not technically you're pretty technically savvy compared yeah. to most directors yeah. yep so what what is your thoughts on what's happening to filmmaking today oh god that is oh it's such a big question all right so the Short version is one. I'm not. I'm not so sure. Dan's inaccurate. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure, but I I love him for loving me. Um, yeah. I I think there's a massive convergence going on. And I apologize. This answer is a little long. I think there's a massive convergence going on. I think okay. we have all of these new emerging technologies that are making the process of filmmaking easier, faster, cheaper, better. And that's everything from like, you know, everything you're doing here at Chaos with V-Ray. Uh, V-Ray, by the way, shout out. You are the entirety <laughs> of both of my robot films. It's all V-Ray. Awesome. Um, but yeah, I, so I think these technologies are, are making it even easier for filmmakers to create their films. And I think, and, and I include, by the way, artificial intelligence in that. I now teach AI at USC for exactly which this I reason. Wanted, which I want to get to. Yeah. I want to quite get to the, to the AI yeah, stuff. Yeah, sure. but there is technology has sort of enabled certain things yeah. and, so, and sometimes you see uh, resistance to it and mm. sometimes you see overly uh, reliance on it. Ooh, both right? great. Yes, yes, both great and both really accurate for what's going on right now. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. So, so what is your thoughts about it? Like, you know, if you're going to say, okay, I'm going to be all in on, let's say, virtual mm. production Ooh. and then not necessarily, just not necessarily take advantage of it in the right way. Like, how do, how do you balance the vision with the technology. Yeah, can I, oh my gosh, these are great questions. I'm gonna start by just saying yes, Okay. right? The big answer is yes. And I think this is kind of the beauty of this moment, especially for folks like ourselves, uh, people, you know, uh, folks still coming up. I don't think, I don't think there's one tool for every film anymore. I, and in that way, I, I think we all now have to start learning all of these tools so that we can go off and make these films that we want to make. Tell the stories we want to tell. Tell them in a way that we want to tell them. Tell them in a way that has a quality that we can feel proud about. I do think it is going to be a multi-tool approach. Okay. And in that multi-tool approach, I think what we're seeing, and I'm sure you're seeing it as well, is there's kind of what I'm starting to call the great convergence, which is, you know, look at like Blender. Right. Look at like all of the different things that you can now do in Blender. Look at Unreal. Look at all the different AI tools. Look at Wonder Studios. Look at Eleven Labs. Look at Suno for music. Like, I just want to generally call these tools. All of these tools are now either free or damn close to free. They are now allowing us to do so much more all by ourselves. And I think they're only going to come tighter and tighter together so that they become easier and easier to use. They become easier and easier to think in. They become easier and easier to talk to other artists about. They become easier and easier to disseminate work in. Like all of the, the hurdles that every independent filmmaker has to fucking, excuse my language. Are we allowed to swear? Sure. Okay, but I won't. <laughs> Sorry, mom. Um, all of these hurdles that we've all had to jump right. and have kept us out of, out of accomplishing something at the quality that we all know we can do, 
those hurdles are now we can we're going to be aided by these new these new tools they're going to help us jump these hurdles lower the hurdles i think the other thing that i think is bigger than most people talk about and i'm sure this is part of what danny's talked about um we're also seeing this wide open world of distribution Mm. And distribution was, it's actually, it was a giant gatekeeping mechanism. And there's no negative about that. There was no evil, sinister gateholder. It was just, if you couldn't get distribution, there was no way to get X amount of funding to get X film made. Mm -hmm. Only now, you know, we were just in the lobby and we were talking about, I have this opportunity right now through uh, a group that I did a commercial for to get them to sponsor a proof of concept short that I want to do by featuring their product in a short. Mm -hmm. And then I think then being able to get those out to our various audiences, it sort of reaches enough audiences for it to be worth this to the client. In that same way, I think you and I are going to be watching a feature film with, before this year is up, before 2024 is up. We're going to be watching a feature film cut into 25 parts on TikTok. It's going to be shot 9 by 16 and we're going to watch it on TikTok. Mm -hmm. I think those channels opening up, I also, not to bring it back to AI, but I also think you and I, we love a specific kind of film. And like the only, you know, I like a lot of types of films. I like films about robots. I like films about robots. And I like films about robots. (laughs) So so I'm going to be able to go to, you know, ChatGPT or whatever its successor is going to be and say like, I have exactly 18 minutes. I want to watch the best short film about robots that exists. What is it? Mm-hmm. And it no longer will matter. It, most of them will probably return to a YouTube or a YouTube Shorts or a TikTok or like an easy access platform. Okay. But because they're so accessible in this way, we're going to see more of them. More of them will get out. You as a filmmaker, I mean, I, you already have podcasts and you have all these other things sure. going and like Martini Giant. And that's, that's the future. But don't you think we're already slaves to an algorithm? Oh God, yeah. But right. But, but I, like, look at look at what's happening specifically. Like people are making YouTube's based on what they're trying to gain on the algorithm. Sure. And now they're using AI to gain on the algorithm. Isn't it all just going to become the same thing? Yes. And I, I have to. I have to. <laughs> Aren't we all just going to make Mr. Beast videos after a while? It's going to be a pain. Kill to make a Mr. Beast video. <laughs> Um, no, and I, I think maybe this, this might be a lucky part of being a commercial director Sure, is I've been a slave to client needs, uh, for eight great years right now. Okay. And, and, and I've, I've, I've sort of learned to love what it gives me in that on the side, I'm making all my own personal stuff. Sure. I do think that's the, the algorithmic point. Mr. Beast will always beat us. Someone who's like pinpointed an algorithm i would argue outside of like some really smart outliers outliers get those algorithms ahead of time and they operate within them and they'll always those people will win but but you and i making our films that we love Mm -hmm. i actually think over time the algorithm is going to help people who love our kinds of films find us Mm. and so but i'll still you know the 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 Mr. Beasts will always exist. Those super high algorithmic players, they'll always exist. But that was never going to be us anyhow. We wanted to make films that we wanted to make, that we wanted to watch. Okay. And so that, that is what we're going to do now. You won't get those insane numbers, but you will get to make the film you want to watch. But um, you'll be able to find the people who want to watch them. That's it. That's it, and that's and and then the rest the rest does become up to you. Right? That's right. that's the hard part. the The sad part of this, if you will, is that um, 
as opposed to the Finchers and the Ridley Scotts and everyone who came before us, you won't be funded in the same way. You won't, you know, you won't get 1.6 million for your second music video in the same way. Like, you right. will have to do more on your own, but you will own more at the end, which I think is really big. Interesting. Interesting. Now, that's on the business side of things. Yeah. Uh, but let's, there, there's obviously new technology has happened in filmmaking forever, right? Yeah. You know, whether it's digital video or CG or all kinds of things have enabled us to do more and more and more, right? You know, just even for car chase. As a Russian arm came along, suddenly car chase is so different, right? So what, uh, which is now apparently called a Ukraine arm. Oh, nice. Oh, wow. Because that's where it was from. It was sure. not from, <laughs> it was not actually from Russia. It's very American of us. Yeah, it used yeah. to be like Russia. Yeah, yeah. But uh, the what's interesting is there is a, what is the, there is still a fundamental part of storytelling that's uh, unique mm. and hasn't changed. Yeah. Com- regardless of the technology. What do you think that is? What do you think is the fundamental part of telling a story uh, in, in, in video form? Drama. 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 Conflict. Yeah. 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 And, and, it, and, and not to oversimplify, but drama and conflict. Right. Right. Like that we still. We still respond to these stories of people in trouble trying to get something that is seemingly unattainable and they, you know, they go off on this, you know, hero's quest or journey or whatever you're going to call it, big or small, and get beat up while they do it. And then finally, you know, find that, that kernel within themselves that allows them to turn it around and succeed. We, right. we love that. We st- I, I think we still love drama and conflict. I think it's funny. I, I was just talking to a, a partner of mine, and I the only thing I genuinely hate about Unreal <laughs> is that no matter what you're working on, the faces are terrible. Like we're in MetaHumans with all the latest you know, uh, face blending and all this stuff. Sure. The faces are just still kind of terrible, <laughs> and it's tough because as a filmmaker, like that's drama, that's conflict, right? Like we, we there's subtlety to faces that you're never oh, going to capture. Yeah, like yeah, you know, we're just you know, like if you look at any of the Marvel films or the Star Wars films, like no matter whether you loved them or not, they're gorgeous, right? The ships and the deep space battles and the VFX component, killing it, killing it, killing it. M- minus, I think some people had a couple issues with Ant Man, right? <laughs> but killing it, sure. even Ant-Man, killing it, killing it, killing it. But if you don't have that drama and that conflict and that personal story, right. then there's nothing. And then, and, and then mechanically, that does definitely turn into your shot selection. And that turn, turns into your lens choices, your blocking, your staging, your acting. It's why, like at school, I, I teach a class on AI, but I also teach a class in just directing. Mm. Because for me, and for me, it, this is selfish, but for, it, for me, teaching it is the best way to sort of reinforce it for myself. Yes, of course. And so while I, you know, while I continue to learn about this new emerging technology slash art form, I, I always want to be grounded in directing. Sure. And so the two, I teach, teach the two together. Right, right. Well, this, the, the, the conflict and, and drama that we strive for in our storytelling seems to be something that people are trying to avoid when they're talking about AI. They see, oh, yeah. they see AI as the conflict that they don't want. Yeah, I know. So um, I do, I know that you, uh, you sort of embrace uh, a lot of those, those tools. Uh, I know there's controversy there. Yeah. And I, I actually try to be very balanced in my way of talking about it because I acknowledge 
the controversy, which I'm, I think we're going to get to. But what I you Dan was telling me that you you teach this at USC, and this was a controversial thing oh, when yeah. you started thinking teaching <laughs> at this year. So tell the story about this is USC. This is very famous film school, very very well known. Yep. Uh, and you said, we're going to teach you. So how did you say, I'm going to teach you about AI tools? Here? Oh, that's such a great question. Oh, I love your questions. <laughs> this is wonderful. Um, yeah, so my first semester of teaching AI, the class title did not have AI in it anywhere. Okay. And it was fine. It was during the writer's strike, so AI was the dirtiest word, even though we were uh, only generative AI on the visual side and only as a training tool uh, and a development tool and, you know, not – not for sale or repurposing. Um, we could not put AI in the title. And it is only now this next semester by me just basically sort of diva-ing out and demanding that it be somewhere in the title um, that we, I think AI is like the last word in there. It's like, you know, directing and new technologies and artificial intelligence. Um, I have a very nuanced perspective on AI. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, I apologize because I think it, it would run really long. I, I definitely agree there are a ton of legal issues. I definitely think there's a ton of infringement on artists' works and copyrights. But I do think those things are going to be fixed because a lot of these, these new systems are realizing, like, yeah, you, you can't own this in your movie. You can't create a commercial that has these particular AI styles in the background. Um, even though I, I know multiple stories of artists on the most recent Spider-Man uh, Beyond the Spider-Verse who used AI, just didn't tell anyone. And so now there's, there is AI in films, whether we like it or not. Sure. And so we... Um, but there's VFX and people don't talk about that oh, either. I love, by the way, <laughs> get, oh, get me started on the Oppenheimer stuff because yeah. I find that hilarious that yeah. he, he went so hard in the paint uh -huh. and now it's biting him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, so getting it out of that. We how did the school react to that and how did the students react to it? So here's what's wonderful. Most, they're students. So right. most of them, they're just looking towards the future. Right. And a lot of them recognize like, this is a wave that's coming. Right. There is no avoiding it. Sure. I, think, I think it's only us as sort of more mature artists and more mature uh, 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 craftspersons that we we feel like we have the opportunity to not accept it and not move forward, mm -hmm. which I equate to seeing the wave coming, being on your surfboard, just deciding to see, is it going to crash on my back? Right. Like it just, it seems crazy to me, but it's our choice as mature artists. Most of the students really adopted it really well. I did actually at the very last class, I had a student, it was the last class, mind you, not the mm -hmm. first, who came in at the, at the, not even the start of class, came in in the middle of class to be like, and he, he just approached me very politely, kind of fidgeting a little. And he said, hey, I just want you to know, uh, me and a bunch of my friends, we're going to uh, petition your class and we were going to protest it at the start of the semester. And one, I was like, hey, Shea Guevara, you, you got to be okay with like waking up in the morning to, to really protest. Like sure. one, get here early, not at the end. Right. I could tell, but I could what, tell. They were going to protest it after they took the class? No, it was, that's what was so weird. He waited. They, they were going to protest, protest it before the class began. Okay. Which I, I, I would have loved to have seen. Um, and, and I fully respect everyone having beef with it. I, sure. I, I want to talk about kind of what I, I think it opens and why I think it's something we kind of have to adopt, but that's my personal opinion. Mm -hmm. But anyhow, 
a student came to protest. He started reading all of the quotes that he and texts that he and his friends were sending to each other that they were going to shout when they got to my class. Um, they were awesome. And then, cool, I finished it by just inviting him to sit in on the class, mm-hmm. as one should. And I was like, listen, I totally hear it. You know, he was nervous. And I was like, why don't you just sit in? You know so-and-so. You know Alex. You know you know Vincent. Like, why don't you just sit in and enjoy the class? You can hate it at the end. Let's, let's chat about it. He sits in on the class. It's our last class. So the students are showing a lot of their work. Right. Chris, their work is phenomenal. Right. Right. And so this is something that we should talk about. It's like we all remember our first like uh, VFX or animation or whatever, you know, projects. And they were terrible. Right. These students are putting out stuff that looks gorgeous. Mm -hmm. And they're still using all their directorial skills and storytelling skills and sound and like incredible sound design. People are bringing in music. They just get there faster. They get there faster. Right. And th- this can, uh, and, and again, I don't want this to be an ad for AI. I just kind of want to talk about like these students do incredible work. Down to like the head of our directing program, who's amazing, Everett. Uh, he's always been in love with it because of the quality of the work. Because of like how 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 great it it tells a story. Not mm-hmm. just it looks amazing. That's that's the easy part. It's that people can then move around in it faster in a way that allows them to get through the bumps and the hurdles that we mm-hmm. talked about and get to the story they want to tell better and faster. And so anyhow, this, uh, this protester sat through the class and he came up afterwards and he, he waited, you know, because we I, I had to dap up everybody and say goodbye. Mm-hmm. And uh, he waited and he was just like, I got to tell you, I was really impressed with the student's work. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, he finished it with, I still don't like what you're doing. And I was like, right on. Like, <laughs> you, shouldn't, you shouldn't like adults anyhow. Sure. Um, but it was great. And so that happened. Multiple persons in the program at, the, at USC have now kind of seen the work that's coming out. And I actually think very soon there'll be sort of a jockeying to own AI mm. at USC. We literally were a class in the basement of one of the buildings. Like, we were Fight Club. We right. only for me it was like the only rule of Fight Club was like you do talk about Fight Club. Sure. And so the students were really great and very proactive. My students were amazing. Um, but yeah, word got out. People started to see things. I think that's the other thing is once you see it, and you feel it. Like we, we I have a, uh, one student, Martin Luna, who you know brought it up right at the start of class. He's a queer filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Who knows? There, there's not a lot of outlets in the world that you know. There's not a lot. He's not, you're not going to get a ton of funding, a ton of distribution, a ton of. So he adopted it so hard and so fast. And he's he's a poet and a painter, and and so his his work just all has this like beauty and and heartfelt sentiment. And and he just he, he just adopted it so quickly it made my head spin. But now his work is out for awards and festivals, and I I just think. I think it's here and I think it's amazing and I think people are either going to adopt it or not adopt it but it'll come for you sooner or later do you think that there's going to be a reaction there are, there are people out there that say oh, yeah. oh I don't it uses AI no screw yeah. it uh, and I think I think I love that people have that opinion I say if it is your opinion stand by it I think it's rad I, I think again I still think there are legal issues with existing AI sure Right, and and I, I don't want to. What are your thoughts on it? Because yeah. I have some specific thoughts about the legal issues. I actually think that's the only place where this should be discussed. Yeah, yeah. Because the court of public opinion, whether it's politics or AI, should not be done in public opinion. It should be done in courts. Yeah. 
Agreed. Laws, laws are laws, and they should be. And there is probably a very good case to be made for the use of the training data. Absolutely. And that should be discussed in court and settled in court. And yep. not just my opinion is that it's not. I don't know if it's copyright infringement. Yeah. I've never gone to law school. Yep. I can't say I think it's lo- I don't know. Yep. Suddenly, suddenly, uh, you know, Andy Warhol's work is being scrutinized. Right. Why wasn't it scrutinized back in the 60s and 70s? Yeah. Cash money. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. No, but you're absolutely, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, what, do you have opinions on sort of where that stuff should land? I think that there are people out there that are doing some very, very good work that are uh, like like Carla Ortiz in terms of her trying to find the best way to argue uh, against the training data that's being used in these systems. I think that is fantastic. And there are many ways that that can be uh, argued, legally speaking, and she's doing all the right work for that to happen. And I think that it's going to take a long time for that to be settled. Yeah. But the the work has to be done, and they're they're doing it. That and, and so I embrace that. And then, then you look. There's several ways. To, it was like, okay, is it? Did they use a lot of my work to do that? You can prove that, right? The New York Times is like, yeah. When ChatGPT is verbatim reading you New York Times articles, yeah. like, eh. yep. <laughs> You know, so so I think that that's but the New York Times has to go through the court system to prove that it's, you know, what's the difference between fair use and, and copyright? infringement? Yeah. Right. I would actually even if like this will sound weird, but I would actually encourage artists who are excited to use AI in their in their works. Mm-hmm. I would actually encourage those artists, myself included, to really promote this sort of legal solution finding. Yes. Meaning like, because here's a great example. It's like, there's no way I can ever put AI generated artwork into one of my commercials. Right. So we, you know, we just did this uh, gorgeous uh, Xbox uh, Starfield uh, commercial. It's really fun, really beautiful. I could, I would never put AI into that. Because we don't know what its copyright thing yeah. is, we don't know if it infringed on it. There, there are visual effects studios right now that I that, that I know of that have to stop updating Photoshop. Yeah, yeah. Because they don't know where the source material no out of Photoshop's yeah. is anymore. And we're all working from home, and it's right. kind of remote, yeah. and you're trusting each artist to do it legally. Mm-hmm. No, I think I think that. But that's why I would also I would encourage like anyone who's excited to use AI moving forward. To also encourage your, you know, to encourage your uh, representatives and your Congress people to actually start laws around this, because look, there is going to be very quickly we're going to realize um, all of the work of the great masters, right? We just saw the Steamboat Willie thing happen, sure. You know, so it's like all the work of the great masters is not copyrightable. All of the work, like there, there's going to be a lot of work for these. You know, say Mid Journey has to go backwards and erase itself and start over again. Right. You're still going to get to a really amazing product very quickly. I think one of the things that we skip, and and no one wants to go backwards. They're all in a, an arms race to move forward. So sure. it's why ChatGPT will probably pay the New York Times. I hope New York Times is charging him an arm and a leg. But the problem is if they pay New York Times, then it never actually goes through the lawsuit. It needs to get through the lawsuit. Oh, I see what you're saying. So, yeah, you're right. So it yep, needs yep. to get through the lawsuit for us to have something to stand by, yes, right? Yes, 100%. You can't just like, oh, we'll just pay you and then it's not done. It's like, well, we haven't solved the problem yet. Right. We need a law. Yep, you need a and law. And settlement doesn't make laws. I, I, would also, <laughs> I would also throw out, I think the one neat, not neat, this is going to be terrible. Uh, 
this is a terrible thing that will have a slight silver lining, which is I think the 2024 election is going to bring out the worst in AI. I think we are. I think we are going <laughs> they to. They said that about uh, about the deep fakes, and it never really happened. But have you tried <laughs> to load deep fake on your desktop? Like it's not an easy process to load it, train it. I know, but they thought that deep fakes were going to change the outcome of the 2020 election. Okay. I know because I was on panels that everyone was freaking out about it. Okay. And it turns out just straight up lying to people worked just fine. Right. <laughs> you're right, you're right. You don't need to, <laughs> you face, don't need replace. to face replace it. They'll believe whatever the hell they say. You know? That's a really accurate point. <laughs> um, so anyway, so I, I don't know if AI is going to do anything. It turns out just lying to people, it's been working for centuries. Plenty. Yeah, that's a really good point. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I think I think what we're going to see very quickly is that it is um, it is is going to be very quick for whatever your you know image generator of choice is to get back to 80, 85 percent. And I think the one thing that a lot of people ignore is even though the AIs were based on a lot of sort of uh, artist existing artist work, there are so many looks that have developed that are specific to that AI. So I talk about this in my class, but like, you know, like all of the solar punk, cassette punk, Jodorowsky, like all of these things, Jodorowsky never made Tron, right? right? Like that sort of like crazy glowing bubbled style. Jodorowsky has no film that has glowing glass bubbles anywhere. But over time in the style of Jodorowsky took on a meaning specific to Mid Journey. Right. That's going to happen across the board. So whether it's, you know, in the style of Roger Deakins or just, quote unquote, in the style of cinematic plus plus. Right. Whatever that's going to become, it'll get back to there because we're using it and going, no, this isn't cassette punk enough for me. Every time you say no, every time you don't choose to uprise an image, the system goes, well, that wasn't cassette punk enough. Right. So I, I think I think for everyone, for good and for bad. I think it'd be easy to to go back and legally update everything. And then we will very soon, though, be back to the same discussion of, okay, now this thing makes photoreal, gorgeous images that speak to all these different styles. How do we want to use it to tell our story? Mm-hmm. Now, that's, yeah. Now, this is interesting. So I remember, you know, years and years ago, and I think I've told this story before, but I'd like to, to hear uh, uh uh, your opinion. Look, I I just moved to LA, and I was kind of new, and I knew that you know the film scene here was big, obviously, and there was going to be uh, a Q and A, a session at the El Rey Theater with John Waters. All oh, right, <laughs> El Rey and John Waters is yeah. already awesome, right? So and I, my wife loves. I love John Waters. My my wife love really John. loves John Waters, and he is the the ultimate like just figure shit out figure guy, shit. right? Yep. And so he's, he's, he's amazing. And so someone asked, and it was right around, so think about that, it was probably around 2002, 2003, and it was the first time that you start to have these $1,000 HD cameras, oh, yeah. where suddenly like $1,000 is almost affordable, mm-hmm. and, you can, and you can like, oh my God, it's HD, it might as well be a film, and suddenly home films could look HD, yes. right? And so he, they asked, someone asked a question to, to – and this is a big jump, right? And someone asked John Waters, once, like, now people can buy these cameras and they can make something incredible from their house, yeah. right? That was not even possible before 2003. And he says, what do you think about that? And he said, I think it's amazing and wonderful that anyone can make a film. Mm. Not everyone should. Yes, yes. <laughs> 
Yep. So what do you think about that? Because what are you seeing out of mid-journey? Yeah. You're seeing anyone can make any kind of art. Yes. But not everyone should, right? Right. Yep. So what but, do you how do you how do you find people that should and people that shouldn't? <laughs> oh, by the way, and all of that story is like to me is like the perfect encapsulation of filmmaking, which is one like John right. Waters, probably when he starts, is so French, right? Like given oh, his very era. French, yeah. He's very French. So my guess is by the time you saw him, he's John Waters. He's at the El Ray. He's John right. Waters. Well known, you know, probably made fifteen films by that point. Um but when he started, there was probably he probably people told him he should not make film. Oh, and they were like, "What the hell are you doing? What, what the hell are you doing?" This is and the most disturbing thing I've ever seen. Exactly, pink flamingos, yep. female yep. trouble. Oh my god! <laughs> and so, but he continues because he can. Right. I. That's what I'm looking forward to. I, I agree with him that not everyone should, <laughs> but like we're about to see, like we're about to end this era of corporate filmmaking and get back to true independent filmmaking. And and by the way, do not, you think that's true? Hundred percent. Hundred percent. So, so, so this is a this is a point that you know Dan and I and Eric on Martini Giant oh, yeah. have been saying for like the last four years, yep. right? It's like we are back to that pinnacle moment in the 1960s when the film mm. in the, where the movie industry is about to go bankrupt, yep. and the only thing that's going to save it is Francis Ford Coppola's Apocalypse Now Boom. or something like that. Yeah. And so, do you think we're at that moment now? I would. Yes, my era is a little bit different because I think we are. Oh, this is such nerd talk right now. I just I love you, Chris. I just realized I'm like, well, technically, Chris, I think we're French New Wave that okay. inspires Coppola. Yes. I, I think okay. we're the French New Wave that inspires Coppola. Oh, okay. I think we are So ba- we're in the Godard phase. We're in the Godard. I think we're uh Melville. I Melville. think we're we're Bob Flambeur right now. Right, right. And people are gonna make these films that are takes them forever to make. Uh but but the fact that um, we are shooting in formats that we can now control and we have all of these, you know, whether like whether it's virtual production, whether it's motion capture, whether it's AI generated backgrounds that you're using on a green screen setup. Sure. Like all of these different things are going to be what everyone is exploring. And this is so this is Truffaut riding around in the back of a car being like, oh, my God, we can drive through Paris right now and I can still hold a camera because cameras don't weigh, you know, like. Right. We're in that phase. And to me, that is, that's what's massive. And that's what will inspire. It's funny. God, I love you, Chris. I love you. <laughs> I love that you brought up Coppola because we're in the phase that's going to inspire the Coppolas. You, you know what I mean? So sure. this, this will be rougher and there will be a lot of crap made. And we will be looking, you know, we will be looking at like a lot of John Waters will say that person should not have made film. That person should not have made film. But oh my God, those futuristic Safdie brothers or that future Greta Gerwig, yeah. they, they, they just need more support. The Safdie brothers just broke up. No, they did not. Yes, they did. They, Stop. The, yes. No, they did. They did. They yeah. were in the middle of making a film and they decided to step away and stop making films together. I don't know what happened. Dan and I were practically in tears about it. I was just about to say, I feel like you can't drop that in the middle of this conversation because I'm like, no, they can't. I'll talk. We'll we'll talk about this Yeah, we'll have to talk. Because Uncut Gems is like, oh oh, my God. So perfect. And and, and that, that, by the way, is all I want to see. But like those those people are out there. And by the way, can I just real quickly, like because all of your story hit me. Yeah. The other part of that story is you and your wife Mm -hmm. moved to LA to pursue this particular industry. So, yeah, eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, It's always slow, by the way. No yeah. one, no, everyone's like a 20 yeah. year overnight success. Sure. 
Um, just the fact we got to LA made us the lucky ones. Right. Right. We were, we were these lucky few who could, who, whether it was money, family, a car that could just drive to LA, we were the lucky few who could get here. Mm -hmm. I think we, over, over time kind of blurred the line and thought like, we're the only ones who should make film because we like committed more because we came here. <laughs> and so when people talk about like, this is going to steal your job or this person's going to steal your job or this person using virtual productions, like I just try and remind everyone they're not our jobs, right? There's no reason that some, some girl whose mom's on hospice in Kansas who just can't leave Kansas shouldn't be making her film. Right. right. Like we were the lucky ones. We came here. We, we got this sort of opportunity. We were surrounded by people and it was sort of an exclusive island ish sure. here in New York. And I mean, obviously there are other stories, but like this was the, this was the hotbed. That's the other thing that's going to happen. The hotbed's going to spread because mm -hmm. you don't need that many people. You just need this smaller committed crew. Right. And I'm a big believer. I'm like, especially as someone who's gone in and pitched and been told no so many times is that everyone deserves to make their film right and so that's why like when this talk about ai or you know or even i don't know if you've experienced this but even like a lot of people are, are they're, they're just against sort of like okay green screen work you know like i you and i both love very sure. sci-fi and genre stuff and i was like oh cool i'm gonna do this and People can see the rough edges of your compositing, or they can tell that the robot's not real. They, and they kind of like, they just want to poop on it. Sure. And I'm like, well, this is what had to happen for me to tell this particular story. Mm -hmm. For me to make this particular film, it had to be this rough because no one has any money, and I'm begging everyone to work on the weekends. Sure. And as you and Dan know, of the 20 people you beg to work on the weekends, one will actually finish something. Like it's... Anyhow, I just think people have been excited to poop on a lot of things. Right. But this, to me, is like we are at this wild convergence where everyone's going to be able to tell their story. And maybe to finish it with what John Waters would have said, is I think the other thing you're going to realize is not everyone actually wants to make their film. What so do you now, mean? Well, like... A lot of people love the story of uh, I could have been X, right? Like I could have done, I really could. Oh, like I, I remember walking out of the Matrix and I'm like, I think I'm high school or, or college, but like I'm walking out of the Matrix and someone in front of me is like, oh, you know how I would have ended that film? And I just, it was my first time to just really be like, fuck you, man. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like it was that first time to be like, no, like stop talking like this is, you're, you're better than everyone else. It is, I think, one of the things that we're also going to see as we all now have the opportunity to make our films. Mm -hmm. And this is a, a bigger story, but like, I don't know if you remember your first films. Yeah. Um, or even your, you know, like, they sucked. My, all mine sure. sucked. I think I've got about 30 commercials that I'll never show anyone. I've, sure. I've shot about 120, and I love to show about 20, but there's 30 I would never show anyone. Right. Right. Because they just, you realize like you have all these, this knowledge and all this taste and all this understanding and film history. And I'm sure you and I could go uh, director commentary on Blu-ray for director commentary on Blu-ray for right. like the next hour and a half. Right. We have all this knowledge and this understanding and this taste, but until you've put it into practice, it, it's like talking about running and how you're going to run this marathon. Sure. Until you get out there and you run one mile, two miles, three miles, five miles, like you don't realize you're a bad runner yet. Right. 
And so I, I think that's also going to happen. I think you're going to, I think you will definitely overall see a lot more great films coming out over sure. the next two to three years. But you're also going to see a lot of people kind of realize like, oh, this is harder than I thought. Oh, this didn't work out like I wanted it to. There's no magic button, et cetera. Right. Interesting. You know, I, I, I remember, uh, uh, yeah. Okay. I do want to, I do want to get to, to, to one more, more point. There's obviously, there's a lot of, a lot of resentment towards these tools because people feel they either are going to lose their jobs yeah. or they just spent a quarter million dollars on an education that's obsolete. <sighs> Try a little <laughs> bit more. Sorry. Right. Yeah. And uh, all of these things, and there's like, but this is wrong, right? Yeah. And so uh, the the answer people don't want to hear is, well, you have to adapt or die. Yeah. And how do you address that question? How do you help that person come, like, get to the next part? That's a great, great question. Um, because it's not easy to hear adapt or die. No, and and, and it's funny. Adapt or die is a bit of a, a platitude, right? That's your... That's your um, that's a survival instinct, right? That's a that's a survival comment. That's not what it's not what artists, craftspeople, uh, technicians actually can use. Mm-hmm. My and I'm I'm terrible. Like I, I don't like to give advice at all, but I'll tell everyone. Like kind of here's what my advice to myself was, mm-hmm. which is I like we said, it is here, it is coming, and you're probably feeling the change. Mm-hmm. So. If all those things are true, then the adapter die model, I think, is is kind of going to come in. But here's what I would say is like at bare minimum, take your creative silo and move up a notch and down a notch. Meaning like, like um, uh, as a director, mm-hmm. I moved up a notch in that my partner uh, and I, this wonderful human being named Phil Ernie, we started a, our own production company called The Ghost. Okay. And, and that's because also other things are starting to happen. You're starting to feel this great convergence and ads are getting, budgets are going down and, you know, people yeah, are getting yeah. a little tighter with money. And so uh, we were seeing less and less trickle down to us as the producer and the director. So we started our own production company. That's moving up mm-hmm. our creative silo. Moving down, I'm starting to do more uh, hands-on editorial, previs, uh, operating my own camera, like just kind of expanding a little bit down there. And, mm-hmm. and so, because I... The platitude of adapter dies probably too nebulous. Mm-hmm. It is, as someone who's had multiple careers, I I feel like I have a good opportunity to. I see well, and I see this happening, sure. and I've changed careers before, so I know it's possible. Right. I do think it's harder for a lot of people who are more entrenched. You know, we've we've had a run of like, like I I was getting into VFX when there were still generalists. This, this is the model on my Generalists head. are back. That's what I was going to say. And because generalist is up and down, right? Generalist right. is like you you wanted, uh, yeah, you, you came in, you were like, I want to do all this stuff. And they were like, well, actually, you're really good at lighting and rendering, Chris. Right. So you're going to be a lighting rendering guy. And you were like, oh, okay, but I, I can also animate a little and I can bump yeah. Now that's back. Right. right. And, and generalist is a good example of up and down. Uh, me, production company and previous editorial and camera is an up and down. Right. I think everyone should look at what they do and do that. And the reason is, one, I, I and this is not pejorative to the jobs that have been taken by AI. But if you had asked me four years ago, what will AI do well? I would not have said paint amazing paintings, 
draw incredible drawings. We were thinking mostly Roto. Well, I was thinking Roto. Yes. Oh my God. High right. five. Right. High five. Yes. <laughs> I would have thought Roto. Exactly. And tracking. Right. right. Those, those are, and nothing majorative about those two, but all the, the the stuff that's just really tedious. The stuff that's tedious, and I think the the sort of forward looking indicator was stuff yeah. that was being outsourced. I the would quickest. never have thought that Dan's job as a matte painter is almost obsolete. Obsolete. Yeah. 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 Concept designers. Uh, you know, like I mean, just these these really things that you would assume would be the last thing to go, are kind of the first, and that's why I talk about like. Um, move up and move down because I think it forces you to expand. And once you've expanded, now you get a little sense of like, Ooh, it may not even be AI anymore, by the way. I would also like to argue that like outsourcing, like you remember when 3d modeling was like, if you could 3d model, you were the the king of the capital, right? Mm -hmm. You were just, you were just no one, you know, no one could touch you. You were left alone because that model would, now so much modeling is outsourced and, and right. you know, there's a kid in Vietnam who's cranking, hard surface models like you wouldn't believe and then right. they come back in four days. So I think by expanding it, it, it gives you a little more cushion. You get a little more feel for if anyone is infringing on it. And then, but on the positive side, I think we all came to our industries, even VFX. I think we came to our industry because we loved the product. We loved whether it was filmmaking or just making gorgeous CG shots or, you know, like just getting in there and, and, and building incredible spaceships or, you know, texture. Like we loved these results. And I think on the creative front, I think by asking, pushing yourself to move up your creative silo, you'll also start to the Chris Nichols of the worlds and the Dan Thrawns in the worlds go, Oh my God, we can do so much more together now than we ever thought possible. Let's also go X, Y, and Z. Right. Right. And, and, and I, I think then I think by forcing yourself to push up a little bit, your view is better from up high. And that's where you start to see more people like you. You start to go, you know, in my case, like, Oh, cool. These feature scripts that I thought I had to uh, sell my soul to even get made, now my producing partner are auditioning how to make them ourselves. Mm. And I think that's only by forcing, it was only because we forced ourselves to go up and down. Right. Does that help? It does. I think thinking of yourself more generalist, you get a better perspective. Yeah. Of, you know? Yeah. Because I just think of, you know, I just think of those guys that were like the best color timers in the world. Oh right? my God. Yeah. And Great. they spent all that time with chemicals and then suddenly like, no, we're just going to scan it and color it all digitally. And yep. that, their job were gone. Gone. And even, I mean, even look at like, you know, because I think a lot of us are probably uh, animation tangential at least. Sure. Is like, look at like the old photographs of Disney Studios. Right. And there were hundreds of artists in a warehouse and right. they were, you know, drawing the keyframes and then others were tweeners and then right. others were inkers and other people were painting and then painting cells and painting back like hundreds of people. And then Pixar came along and there's obviously hundreds of people again, but like where now we started to see that, well, I can just set a keyframe here and set a keyframe here and we're going to let the computer decide right. that got rid of a bunch of jobs. So it's not, it's not unusual to our industry. I just think it's been a little while and we've been in like such a, like we've been complacent. We've been complacent. God, no, but like, <laughs> look, respect to every artist. Cause sure. every artist is working their butts off. Most of us have no free time when we're at VFX companies. And then, you know, like you're, you're deadlining on pirates of the Caribbean and 80 hours a week. So by the time you 
do get off that. You don't want to go learn a new skill because you have about 100 hours of sleep debt right. to catch up on and a family to remind them who you are. Like, I get it all and I know it's hard. Um, but I think I think there's a year at least of swimming. And I think, look, and like everything else, it'll start to calm down again. But I think move up, move down, push yourself at least for this year so that then as things do calm down, you'll know where your place is. Sure. So, so I want to, because I want to think about where our future is and what to yeah. look forward oh, to or what yeah. to anticipate, yes. right? So what is, have you seen the breathless of today? Have you seen Ooh. the Godal film of today? Like I, I was jokingly saying with, you know, like, what is the easy rider of today? Mm-hmm. And I was thinking it's more like everything, everywhere, all at once. Yes, exactly. Or, 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 or things like that. Yep. Um, uh, but what, what is that thing? And what's gonna, who who's gonna be the Coppola who's gonna take that and inspire them? Yeah, that's great. Um, I think I mean you named everything everywhere all at once. I think the Daniels made a Daniels film that is so Daniels that if you ask them, and they used a lot of AI to do it, ton of AI. Like yeah, a, a, yeah. I, I think that's them getting as close to Breathless as they would want to get. You know what I mean? Like right. I think that's kind of their perfect film. I think. Um, I, I also think, you know, did you see Godzilla minus one? I did. So good. And like, and by the way, that like- $15 million. Yeah. And let's, I mean, I, I, by the way, get, I want to talk to those people. Like, how'd you actually do even 15? Yeah. Um, but, but that said is like, there was a mentality in there. Like, you know, when they cut to, and I'll give nothing away, when they cut to Tokyo, mm-hmm. That's it's so clearly this little soundstage soundstage set, you know, and you can see the edges of the bowl that they had to build to hide the rest of destroyed Tokyo from you, you know, and and it works. And so I think us being able to see that that's going to inspire these filmmakers. I've got a a probably almost a handful. Yeah, I've got five students in my class where I just I would I would argue they will be the next they will be the next Truffaut. They will be the next Godard. Mm -hmm. They will be the next persons to do this sort of rough wild thing that will inspire someone to simmer it down and make apocalypse now but Um, was there people back in you know like the the 60s that were like saying godard that's bad oh yeah yeah go read even go read like uh in the 70s go read pauline kale oh yeah crap all over every independent film to come out like especially like the brian de palma stuff where like De Palma's still making more experimental stuff and she craps all over it, but he inspires so many other people. Right. And he's running with a posse and he inspires Lucas and everyone. Like, there are still, like, um, I mean, you've heard it a million times, like Blade Runner's a flop. Like, I just think, like, right. this has always been around. I think, I think part of the problem, as I, you know, I talk to my students about this, I think part of the problem is AI has such a stink on it. That when people see it, they they don't go, oh, that's not quite good compositing or that background looks a little fake. When they kind of recognize it's an AI background, they just go, I hate that. And so I think that that particular stink has to come off for people to be able to see it. I think it'll be the next generation that sort of sees it a little better. Um, but yeah, I, I do think we're here now. I would, I would argue me, you, Danthron, others we are also going to be those people. Mm. Like I, I finally, at the end of last, uh, not semesters don't matter, but kind of in the middle of last year, I realized, oh, cool. I can stop playing and tinkering with, you know, uh, stable diffusion and comfy UI and all these things. I know the tool will be there when my script is done. 
Th- mm. This is a guarantee. Is I, I have this big sort of space opera that I never would have been able to make on my own. I would have had to sell the script and hope to watch it in a theater and then complain about how the director ruined it. <laughs> I, <laughs> I now know the tools will be there for me to make it at the end of this year. And distribute it. And distribute it. And so that said, now the, the numbers of like how much will it cost, they, they just keep coming down. Yeah. And we're, you know, we were just playing, we, we did this, we have this, I'm working with this incredible uh, previs artist who's a, just a phenomenal madman. And, uh, and we're roughing out previs of it. And then now what we're going to do is take those, you know, we'll take, we'll take those actual unreal backgrounds and we'll just go into a virtual production set or a green screen set. Mm-hmm. And then we'll shoot the live action plates mm. hooker by crook. We're going to get there. And then that may come out looking like Spy Kids, which, by the way, sounds like Spy Kids worked for Robert Rodriguez. Right. <laughs> um, it may come out looking like Spy Kids or it may be amazing. But no matter what, I just I had the realization of, oh, OK, cool. The tools will be there. Right. Finish your script. Yep. Which, by the way, is another thing for us to discuss as filmmakers. It's like still so much work. Right. Like everyone thinks there's a magic AI button and, you know, like you start to realize people who are really into it are, are really dedicated They've learned a lot, and it's still very hard for them. Right. Yeah, yeah. Just making things is hard. Just making things is hard. Yeah. No matter how what tool you do. No. Right. And, right. and and by the way, and I, you know, I want to keep coming back to it because I, I wish someone had, I wish someone had uh, level set this when I was starting as a filmmaker. It's like we all suck as filmmakers when we start. Mm. There's no one, no one, who overnight was amazing. There's no one who like. I, 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 I'm always chafing, you know, I'm at USC. One of our buildings is a Spielberg building, you know, and, and it's inevitable. Students will talk about like, oh yeah, but you know, Spielberg makes Ramblin' and then he makes uh duel and duel's amazing. So he, he, he got it. He's, he's an artiste. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, let's, let's go back and let's look at like, go look at like nine episodes of Columbus, all directed by Steven Spielberg. Right. Steven Spielberg has 28 Movie of the Weeks and TV episodes that he shot before he shot Duel. Yes. 28 hours of practice. 28 gorgeous hours. Some of the best episodes of Columbus. Col- Columbo, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we, all those things get ignored and we just thought he's a genius. No, that's a ton of practice with a team that was dedicated yeah. to shoot exactly this show who knew what he didn't know, who could, you know, like yep. wardrobe, camera, everyone, they knew how to shoot Columbo. Right. So Spielberg gets to be in there and, and work with these great. Yep. Again, I'm just saying. And just look at Lucas, just hanging out at Coppola's yeah. forever. Before, For, yep. Yeah. And and work and also working with that entire team right. and like having these incredible voices on the VFX side of things, like who are still you know some of the biggest names in our business. Mm-hmm. I'm like, it's okay to suck. That's why I, I would come back to it. It's like it's okay to suck. And so some of these first AI films that you see are first just new tool films, virtual production, and right. they're going to suck, and that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. But it, but it, but I think what what's I just want to leave with someone who just a little, just some hopefulness. What yeah. do you think? Oh, yeah, yeah. What do you what what is what are some of the things that you've created that were the most fun, the mo- that you're the most proud of? I mean, I. Wow, that's a long. It's a long list. I'm. I'm really. I mean, I'll go all the way back to um, Dan Thrawn and I were drinking one night, and I was like, "You should have been in Tron." And he was like, "I know." And then cut to a few weeks later, and he and my wife and I were painting. Oh, did you do those Tron shorts? I did those Tron shorts. Oh my god, 
there the funniest thing in the world? It was. It's it's like four of us in a green screen. Yeah. And and uh and my wife had sewed Danny's pants and the, <laughs> there was a hole in them, you know. And Danny's like, oh damn, I I think I just popped the crotch on these pants. And I was like, no no, we'll use that. Yeah. And then we made a, a the disc, the, the sequence. Yeah, exactly. The basic instinct yeah. uh, sequence. And so, <laughs> so yeah, so that, things like that, all the way back to that, I do. Oh. I think about everything. I'm, I like, I'll have to remind Henry to sh- to put those links in here because they're the funniest shorts. I I love those shorts, and so like that's the start of it. And then, but every everything I've worked on, you know, uprising my short film was a blast. Yeah, and I learned a ton. Uh, I mean, just everything. I can just go backwards from the films I'm working on now. I am pushing myself to work more now with uh, people I love and enjoy. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's you know, so working uh, with people is yeah. Yeah, that's it. And 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 even you know we just did um, an Xbox commercial that was a blast. Mm-hmm. We had the stunt team from uh, Pat Romano and like these you know uh, actors in spacesuits flying seventy feet you know thirty feet off the ground seventy feet long cables flying in and landing on computerized systems and you know on this foreign planet and you know we were doing it for uh, uh, Mountain Dew Xbox it was just awesome. So anyhow, nice. um, but I I also. I think part of what you and I are going to be able to look forward to is we're going to be able to do more of that now. Mm-hmm. We're going to, I mean, you and Danny are about to do some stuff too. And it's yeah. like, we're about to do a lot more of that stuff with people we enjoy. And, you know, the only downside is I don't think there will be that insane amount of promised money that a lot of previous, but, but we're going to love doing it. And it's going to be us. It's going to be more us than ever before. Like sure. we're going to have fewer... You know, everyone, like, we still hear directors talk about wanting Final Cut. Right. Right? And you're going to go f- so far beyond having Final Cut. You're going to have full authority. You're going to have full responsibility. Like, it's, sure. it's all going to be yours. So I think that, to me, is what makes this the most, ex- this is the most exciting moment to be alive in film, to me, period, bar none. Mm-hmm. I got, I, and I read a lot of, you know, like uh, Easy Rider, Raging Bull, or Chasing the Light by Oliver Stone. And mm-hmm. Those cats, by the way, they had it good. They had cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> they had shooting in Bolivia. Like, they had some wild stuff that they could get up to. And I think this is going to be even more exciting than sure. that. Sure. Awesome. 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 Well, thanks, man. I appreciate you being on. It's good to, to finally meet you in person. Yeah. Same here, and, man. Uh, and uh, I look forward to seeing all the incredible stuff you're doing. I look forward to us working together. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks, man. <laughs>